Welcome to Annasbrook Church. We hope this message from our lead pastor, Graham Hislop, empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annasbrook.co.nz for a service near you. Uh, welcome. Welcome. Is everyone good? Good to be uh, in church, eh? Good to be together. Good to be in community. Camera can't see me. Oh, I can see me. There you go. Uh, hey, so uh, really good. Good to be in church. Good to be part of this uh, community, praying that God will bless you. Let's pray that. Father, thank you that um, our time together is more than some songs and a message. It's sitting around your feet. It's actually sitting at your table. And I just pray right now there'd be a sense of that here and online. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you want to speak to us. Holy Spirit, I welcome you to come and to do what only you can do in our lives. We surrender control, even of this moment and this time. And in our thought, our mind, we thank you for all that you've got in store. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Wednesday night, I went to the gym. I don't normally go at night time. Uh, I go all day. No, I don't. I go, <laughs> I don't. And uh, just happened to have a night where um, the Beck and the children that's my wife and children, uh, went to youth. And uh, so I thought I'd go to the gym. And I, I saw someone at, at the gym who comes here. In fact, I'm pretty sure they're in this um, gathering right now. And uh, it was really good, just chatting about life. And um, he actually, I, I, we were just talking actually about uh, this whole thing that we've been talking about, practicing the way. And this whole theme that we're really endeavouring to understand over the next two or three years of what does it mean to follow Jesus. And uh, he told me something pretty radical. I'm not going to name him because it's a pretty high bar, I must say. Uh, he said that, he said he just, you know, the silence and solitude that we've just come out of these last two um, practices. By the way, silence and solitude is a great spiritual practice if you're arguing with a loved one. It is brilliant. It's actually, it's the easiest, isn't it? You can just blame it on the Lord. I mean, it could be passive-aggressive or it could be a spiritual practice. It's hard to know. Uh, anyway, um, what he said was that he what did you just say? I don't like it when you do that. No, that's all right. And uh, so Rebecca just said, I don't like it when she does that. Correct. And so anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, he was just saying that he's just been um, practicing silence and solitude. And so he wakes up at 3.45 a.m., and he goes, drives towards the gym for a 4.15 workout. But he sits from 3.45 a.m. to 4.15 a.m. in the car, just sitting in the presence of God. Now, he'd lost me at 3.45 a.m. I was like, I, I, I'm not even worried about what spiritual practice that is. But he did say that it was incredibly, been enriching his life because more and more as you change what you practice and what you do, you start to find that God starts to um, invade his presence, his reality, into your life in a way that you didn't otherwise know. So I thought I'd ask, um, who's been practicing the way? Anyone, like as we've gone over these 12 practices, are we about practice seven? What, who's been practicing some of the practices? Okay, Ashley. Oh, awesome. <laughs> what? No one else is going to put their hand up, hey? This is great. What practice have you been practicing? Uh, just absolutely, like rather than in the quiet times of the presence of God, just actually not talking. Because I'm a talker, I know you guys think I'm an introvert, but but um, what's, I don't know what's funny, Graham. But 
like just actually being quiet and just listening and all through the day as well because I'll pray through the day but actually just uh, just being still and it's actually quite amazing how like he brings peace in areas that you know need that so is that why you've been noticing the peace I sure is yeah yeah, yeah hugely yeah has Anna been noticing it as well yes <laughs> <laughs> that's good I mean, it's, it's so interesting doing something that you normally wouldn't do, but something that's spiritual like that. Who else has been, um, any of the practices we've had before, the Word of God, prayer, um, emotional, mental health. Um, we talked about generosity and servanthood, Ayentova. We talked about that. Um, anyone else been practicing any of the practices? Is that your hand, Victoria? I'm just oh, you're stretching. <laughs> You've been talking to God? It's awesome. So good. Uh, what about you, Jared? Have you been practicing the way? Yep. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. In actual seriousness, what practices have you been doing? Um, I've been actually, well, I mean, you know, as we've kind of gone through them, I've been practicing all of them, really, in a way. Um, a big one for me is, was definitely emotional well-being. This feels very strange sitting here having a conversation with you, but it's good. Uh, sorry. Yeah, it's good. Emotional well-being. Just been able to like think, uh, uh, or, or not just think about you know how am I feeling, but actually know how to work my feelings and uh, what what I'm going through emotionally. Like actually understanding how powerful emotions are um, and how to lead them myself as well. So yeah, it's been good. Uh, one more. Who else has been practicing the way? Practicing the way. <laughs> Here we go. All right. What have What have you been practicing, my friend? Uh, the silence and solitude, um, mostly, and um, allowing myself to be an empty vessel for God to work through. What, what has that been looking like? It's been um, allowing God, as opposed to my own will, um, seeking out or allowing myself to be vulnerable and allowing him to work through me and work through things that I'm dealing with. Um, and uh, just being in that quiet space every morning with him. And at 3.45am, which I know it is this guy, yeah, and Mark is very um, disciplined. I, I try to make mine about 11.45am, so that's great. Okay, the, the, reason, the reason I've done that, actually, what about you, James? What about you? What, what, what of the practices? Not very long. His wife has just asked, how long have you got? And the answer is not very, not very long. Um, what, what, in actual fact, though, what practices have you been engaging in, and what what have they been doing? Um, I bought my pastors a coffee this morning, so it's been generous. I, Graham, yeah, <laughs> paying it forward. No, I actually have been looking for opportunities to do that and to see the best in people. You know, to to I mean, you know, when we're in our worst place, God saw the best in us, and He came through for us. No, no matter how badly we were doing. And so whenever I look at somebody, I'm always looking to see how God sees them and to, to, to look to be generous towards them and engage with them at a level of encouragement. And uh, so the generous eye, Ayin Tovar, is it it? Full pass marks. Actually, this guy here has got to be one of the greatest encouragers. He uh, sends... Uh, messages of encouragement to us so regularly. I think that a lot of people don't realise that pastors are human too, or, or maybe they realise it more than <laughs> more than we'd like to imagine. 
But, you know, encouragement is a spiritual discipline. Uh, The reason I'm doing this is because I just wondered, you know, as we do the theme of practicing the way, what a great idea it would be to practice them. (laughs) For me, um, I started really re-disciplining myself about 12 months ago with the Scriptures. I consume a lot of the Word of God for preaching and for work. But I actually really needed to change how I did it. And so I, I took some quite drastic, a number of things changed. But about, how far into this am I? Like, oh, well, I'll be in full-time ministry 20 years in February. Uh, celebrate 20 years this coming February. But I feel like just in this 19th and 20th year, the Word of God, practicing it daily, if I do not read it or get it in my spirit, I have major withdrawals within that 24-hour period. It is things are not right with me. Things feel very unsettled, unbalanced, not empowered. And I, and I could talk about it for a while, but it's, it's taken me like 18 or 19 years to kind of crack that. So I want to say with, with a lot of the things that we embody in Christianity, persevere. Just keep going. Don't give up because uh, breakthroughs are around the corner of patience and endurance. Amen? John chapter 3. Today's practice is a beautiful practice, and it's really an embodying work within how we get things like silence and solitude. And uh, that practice today is simplicity and Sabbath. Now, today we're not going to deal with Sabbath. I'm going to deal with it next week because there is some Jewish intersections which become a little bit troubling when you live somewhere like New Zealand and you live under the New Covenant. So there's, there's a bit of work next week we want to do with that. But I do want to talk about simplicity today. This scripture is uh, out of the book of John, and it refers to John, that after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. So Jesus is doing baptisms, okay? Now John, he's also baptizing. So they've got a very um, obviously similar ministry focus in this moment in this time. Um, In Aon near Salim, because there was so much water there, that's where they were, and they came and they were baptised for John. (coughs) Excuse me. This is before he's thrown into prison and and his head chopped off. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. It's part of ceremonial cleansing. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, speaking about Jesus, behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. John said, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. So he's basically saying, listen, what you guys see, you don't see the whole picture here. You yourself be a witness that I said, I am not the Christ. So he has said that earlier in the book of John, that the word was with God and from God and so forth. And I have been sent, he was actually a witness to God, um, to uh, a forerunner to go before. I have been sent. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So he's just calling himself a friend to the man, Jesus. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. So he's saying, I am fulfilled. My life is full of joy. He must increase, but I must, leave it up on the screen, decrease. 
Basically, he's just said the opposite of Western philosophy, that he is a fulfilled person, full of joy, and he is decreasing. <laughs> he's just said everything that you and I do not understand or believe in. He's fulfilled, he's, his joy is complete, and he's currently decreasing because God in his life, in the person of Jesus, is increasing. I want to share the real simple topic around a foundation uh, for life, simplicity. When I was researching and studying uh, for solitude, I'd spent a number of hours, I stumbled across an interview uh, with this man. His name is Eugene Peterson. And Eugene Peterson, I never got to meet him. He passed away a couple of years ago. He would be one of the people, him and Billy Graham probably. I'd like to meet Smith Wigglesworth for sure. There's probably a few other people, Catherine Coleman, a few other people. But Eugene Peterson would be someone that I would have loved to have had some time with. He translated the Bible into the message translation, and he actually didn't mean to make it an official Bible translation. He did it because he had people in his church who were coming to Christ so fast, realizing the world had nothing left to offer them, and they were coming to Jesus who offered them salvation, eternal life. But when they got the Bible they had, and this is in the 70s, King James and Old King James, and they couldn't understand the British thous and these and whatevers, and so he translated the Greek, because he was a scholar and a, and a, a Greek scholar, he translated the, the original letters into language that was everyday. And his argument was Christ in his stories, his parables, used everyday language, and it needed to be, for new believers, um, understandable. One day Eugene Peterson got a phone call, he tells it in the story, from his publishers, because by now he's left the church and now he's globally known as a person who translated the Bible. His publishers told him that someone wanted to talk with him, sit down and talk with him about the scriptures. And um, his name was this guy here, Bono. So they, he said, look, Bono wants to meet with you this Saturday night. And Eugene Peter said, oh, that, that's really nice. And he said, um, who is Bono? <laughs> and he genuinely didn't know. He'd never heard of Bono, never heard of you 2 never heard of him. And then he went on to say, well, actually, I'm busy this Saturday night. And they said, what are you busy with? And he said, I've got a meeting planned with the book of Isaiah. And he kept that meeting. And then in the months following, met up with this Bono. They actually ended up forming an incredible friendship, did Eugene Peterson and Bono. And Bono worked in the UN and obviously with poverty and a bunch of work around AIDS and um, a whole heap of things. But um, for, for those of you who don't know, Bono has actually got a long, and they say a long and imperfect journey in following Christ but he loves Christ. He, he is a Christ follower. So at the end of this um, interview, funny and interesting interview, uh, the part that struck me about Eugene Peterson, because he was not a man who just shot off at the mouth. He was, he was very particular in the words he spoke. In fact, very much so that he seemed like he was a holy man when he spoke. And this is what he said. He said, the thing that struck me with Bono and his time with him and going to his home and his life wasn't his reputation or his music. It wasn't the accolades or the fame. What really surprised Eugene Peterson was how simple Bono's life really was. He doesn't actually unpack further what that meant, although they did talk about how Bono, before and after concerts, spends most of his time reading the Psalms. So after a concert, he gets his Bible back, back out and with the Christians on the tour, tour, sits down and just starts unpacking the Psalms again. But the things that he talked about was his simple life 
although he doesn't elaborate, essentially, it's not like a rock star's life. And this dynamic is actually really well researched. Time and time again, people who live high-impact lives also live extremely simple in other areas of their lives. Steve Jobs, the reason he looked like this, he only had one real outfit for a big window of time. There was a reason. The reason was he liked the design element of jeans and a skivvy as opposed to a CEO business suit. But the main reason was he didn't want to give any energy to thinking about what to wear in the morning. His life had a energized purpose that needed every resource possible. Elon Musk, not only did he design, if you've ever driven a Model 3 or um, ever been in a Tesla, you'll see that not only is the car incredibly intuitive and simple, but it turns out that his life is as well. He spends most of his time simply creating, thinking of ideas, and builds structure around it where this guy, Mr. Beast, he's uh, actually, his only focus is to make videos and give away so much money, uh, even to people in need. He did what Elon did, and he doesn't have a home. He just has a bed next to his desk and some other gear that he lives at work. And he said this, the reason I do that is because I want my entire waking, every waking minute to be about what I'm put on earth to do. Just simple. And I know you didn't really come to church to hear about tech CEOs and you know YouTube stars or even rock stars, but this has happened in this guy's life as well. Let's go to this photo. This is a, this is a live picture. This is a photo. Jesus' life, if you study it, is really basic and simple, even though it has huge eternal ramifications. Born to a teenager. Born in a farmyard manger. He has no Facebook. He learned, this is a big concern for me, just moving forward. I just want to say this. He learned the skills of carpentry, and that was his job and what he did up until the age of 30. I want to say, my, one of my big fears about the saturation of digital is that the next generation coming through are going to have less and less practical skills. We really, as grandparents and parents and uncles and aunties, we really need to think about it. It might be an invitation to come into your workshop or for some of the guys, an invitation to bring them into your sewing room. No, it's 2022, I don't know. I just didn't want to presume. Jesus, is, where's he launched into ministry? By being alone in a desert. Jesus traveled, his longest distance of traveling was 50 kilometers. This man changed the entire course of human history by traveling no more than 50 kilometers in one direction for one trip. Most of his trips were around three miles sequentially. Jesus builds his team. How does he start to multiply the team? By walking along the shore. Even when he sent his disciples out, how does it look? It's here. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority. And by the way, that's something that works on the inside of us that comes by the Holy Spirit. He said, I want you to go out and I want you to drive out demons, cure diseases. And then he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them this, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. 
whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people don't welcome you, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out from village to village, proclaiming the good news, healing people everywhere. It worked. And it just was so simple. You don't take money, you don't take food, don't take even a backpack, just go as yourself. And I think the reason why our generation doesn't always experience God like we could is not actually because we lack talent or lack understanding. I think it's actually that we're not always willing to risk doing away with the complicated and doing it God's way. You don't need more. You probably need less. <laughs> yeah. This is a good this is a real good message, eh? Like the disciples, just it's just you in doing what Jesus told you, and then the Holy Spirit meets you there. Many people live way more complicated lives than they ought to. Complicated emotions. There's a process to work through, obviously, but we can get to a point. Imagine stability in your emotions. Like even as Jared was talking before about just practicing. Healthy emotional well being. What a difference that would make to your life. Complicated agendas. Their heart's not clean, nor is it clear. They don't know what their life is about or their purpose. They get caught up in the in the the, the wheel of not fortune, what's the mouse wheel? Treadmill, ferret wheel, hamster, hamster wheel. I could have just said the wheel, but anyway. Complicated days. They get worn out from overworking. There's no margin. There's no recreation. There's no, there's no replenishment. Complicated faith. Man, it's easy with a digital algorithm life that you start to actually build your life on tangents because of the topics that are coming up on your YouTube channel. And, and that does not create a strong, simplistic, powerful faith. Um, James 3 tells us what it does. Can you go to James 3, Melissa? It's just on the edge of um, Ephesians 4 there. Um, This is what happens when you get a complicated faith. It says, for where envy and self-seeking exist. So self-seeking, that phrase there is that a life built entirely with self in the middle and on layers of self with more layers of self and just self everywhere is just total self out selfness. What exists? Now, if you see this in society, if you see these dynamics, This is why, confusion. Where we are confused, there's too much of us in us. Not only that, but every evil thing. I mean, you could just list it. It just gets extraordinarily creative and depraved. It goes on to say, but the wisdom that is from God above is first pure. So what's purity like? Just simple, isn't it? It's pure, peaceable, it's gentle. It's willing to yield. It's full of mercy and it has good fruit. Without partiality, in other words, you're not doing things for some people and not for other people because you might get some back end to deal through that or the other thing. And without hypocrisy, hypocrisy, what's that? Is I say one thing about my life, but my character and my deeds are another thing. And hypocrisy, to heal hypocrisy, we want to either bring our talk down or our life up. That's what we want to do. And now the fruit of righteousness, right standing and justice with God, is sown in what word? Peace. And how many people are living today without peace? How many people have got confusion and chaos? What's at the centre of it? 
a complicated faith built on a complicated self. And we do understand that living overcomplicated is actually a symptom often of not being healthy in other areas. I mean, have you ever watched that hoarder's show? You can, seriously, it is a sure fire way to vomit. You know, it, and, and it's sad, it's so sad. But their life is, they've collected everything and not thrown anything out to the point where they, all they can do is live in a very small patch of area. And obviously, I'm using an extreme illustration for what is a very serious and sad situation for people. But you do recognise in most of the stories that you watch that there are unresolved trauma. Every time, once they get the house unpacked and get the person out of it, they sit down and talk with the person, something happened and it has complicated their life. There is no simplicity, there is no peace, there is no joy, there is nothing of what we say, you know, Jesus has come to offer. But I'll tell you what's interesting, no one makes a TV show, and they should, over why you never stop and just appreciate. They don't make TV shows over why you can't just enjoy your family. Why you have to be rushing everywhere all the time. No one makes a TV show of why you're always hustling for the next win and you never feel like you're in the right earning bracket. Which, by the way, statistics and studies have shown that people who earn $75,000, even in a combined family situation, are the peak happiness bracket for all earning areas. As right through America, Australia, New Zealand, the study is shown because as people begin to earn more, they ratchet up their commitments. They ratchet up their mortgage. They ratchet up all their dreams and their hopes. And then they discover they took them with them to the next earning bracket. So why won't you stop? Why won't you pause? Why won't you live the kind of life that has abundance and joy even if you're decreasing? Simple answer. Your life's not simple. Life has just got real complicated. And the the irony is that some of you are called to be CEOs and business owners and employers. And let's just say that anyone who's had, had to deal with employees or employment law, it is a very, very complicated situation. Hence why you need simplicity. Because if you're going to fulfill your purpose, you've got to have counterweights and counterbalances. Jesus withdrawing is a simplicity of life. He's not living under other people's agendas. A simple life, therefore, here we go, is a powerful platform. A simple life is actually a powerful foundation. And I think there's three things it is a clear foundation for. Number one, Simplicity is actually a foundation for contentment. So many people are discontent. Their lives are driven by it. They don't want what they have and do want what they don't have. They aren't thinking, they don't think where they they are where they should be. They're always looking at the Joneses and getting madder and madder when they see what they have. They look over the fence and the grass is so green, so green over there. It's like what Rick Warren says though. People end up buying things they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't even like. <laughs> and, and what is it? It's just that thing within us. And I'm going to show you that thing. And, I, and I'd like some of you, if you would, this is just a pastor's heart now. I'd like some of you to take this verse, write it down and memorize it and stick it somewhere. Um, very important. I did about 15 years ago. And it helped me to understand some of the things that are going on in my life when I cannot be content with what God has already given to me. It's Ephesians chapter four. So I tell you this, 
Verse 17, I insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live your practices as the Gentiles, and that was just a reference to a godless world, a world without God, do in futility that comes in their thinking. Verse 18, they are darkened. Their understanding is darkened and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to what? Their hearts have got hard. Having lost, this is the bit, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and there is a, they are full of greed. Or one translation says, with a continual lust for more. Let me take, it through, uh, take you through it. Sensitivity refers to our spiritual senses. They've lost spiritual sensitivity. What do you get when you don't have spiritual sensitivity? What's the price tag? Sensuality. In other words, I have to feel, I have to feel, I have to feel. Everything I feel I'm aiming to get is actually a spiritual root, spiritual issue, but that's the trade-off. And what is the big warning that comes with it? Is that they give themselves over to, you know, there'd be a time in our lives you say, I'd never do that. I would never engage with that. But because I don't have sensitivity to the things of God or the life of God, I have now given myself over to things that I would never have thought I would. And what's worse than that? Underneath it, it is never, ever satisfied. Porn is that in a nutshell. I'm not gonna, you know, bang on about it, but I do wanna say this, that it never reaches a point where you're like, yeah, I, I had a little bit of porn in my life and now I'm completely satisfied so I don't need any more. No, it's the opposite. I now need more. And now I need more. And now I need more and more and more. And what happens? All spiritual sensitivity leaves my life. Sensuality fills my life. And I'm in a repetitive pattern. Or like Paul wrote, who will save me from this? Who will save me from this trap that I'm in? His name is Jesus. And he's the shame breaker. And he's the one who will awaken your sensitivity and will actually take that sensuality and instead of that continual lust for more never being actually answered, he gives you a peace and a joy and a righteousness. The Bible says, and now I'm set free. He's a good God. Um, Paul wrote this in Philippians 4. I'm having to learn the art to be of being content, whatever the circumstances. I've got moments in my life where I'm in need. I've known also to have plenty. So that's life, isn't it? But I've learned the secret to being content in any and every situation. Whether I've got lots of food or none, doesn't matter. I can only do this through the one who gives me strength. So next time you hate your car, look out the window and remark at the wonder that you have a car. Because there's lots of people on the planet that don't. Next time you look across the kitchen and you see your husband and think, oh, I could do without that husband. <laughs> look across that kitchen and go, oh, I bet someone would love that husband. Now, I don't know who they are, but I bet there is someone. <laughs> the attitude of, attitude of gratitude, the simplicity of understanding that God has given you a gift. It might be an unrefined gift. Hey, it might be a gift that you just need to keep persevering in the things of God, the things of faith, but oh, my lanta, what a joy. <laughs> 
I'll just give you two more as we close because the band's here. That's the universal sign for you've gone too long. (laughs) Two, simplicity is also a foundation not only for contentment, but for faith. Romans 10, 17 says that faith actually comes from hearing God. So make no mistake, if you can hear God through the Word, hear God through His Spirit, even that little whisper, things, honestly, things can begin to move and change like you never imagined, ever. But I found, and I'm sure you have as well, that faith actually has to abide in something. And busyness and franticness isn't it. Yeah. How did God move and work in the Word of God? Think about it. Five loaves, two fish, a young boy. Miracle. Jar, oil, oil keeps pouring, get another jar, get another jar, get another jar. Not very complicated, is it? Once you finish getting jars, that will be the end of the oil pouring out, but it just saved your life, widow, from having to sell your son, do away with your life, everything gone. What about when Jesus healed the blind man? I'll get some mud, some spit, totally healed. So here's the thought, okay? The reason why some of us do not flow with the miracles or with the provision, I was blessed walking into church this morning, hearing a story by someone who lost their dog and they were going, they had a busy day and they they just were here Thursday night at that, um, what was it called? Special team night. I was gonna say secret, but we advertised it. But anyway, that special team night. And we were just talking at the end about expectation. Like when you pray, believe in God. Even though you can't see it, touch it, you're going to fight the good fight of faith. And so they were like, lost their dog. I thought it was a beautiful testimony. And, and they were like, God, I don't have time for this. I've got a busy day. I've got to go to work. Something like this. Next minute, they get a phone call. Dog's turned up from his wife. She'd been praying the same thing. Just simple. One of the reasons why, though, we don't always find those miracles happening is what? Not because you don't, not because you haven't got enough. It's because you don't have the little. It's actually stripping back, just letting God be God and trusting what He says. And that is the foundation. Obedience is the key. Hearing is the key. And give it a go. Go on the adventure of faith. Finally, simplicity is a foundation for ministry. I want to say this to finish. God wants to use you. God is banking on using you. You aren't just a Christian. You're a follower of Christ and you are a minister for Christ. The marketplace may be the harvest field or the counselling room or the doctor's ward or, or at home raising young children. But how does ministry look? How does it actually look to be a minister for Christ? How does it look to serve Him? I'm about to give you a verse that you wish I didn't give you, but this has been my reality. Coming up 20 years, this is what I've found. John 16, 33 says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. That's that principle. In this world, you will have troubles. Jesus said it. But I have overcome the world. So take heart. And I, and I want to say this, okay? Trouble sometimes looks like difficulty. And difficulty sometimes is actually other people's. And your ministry is to help those people. You're called to serve those people with lots of difficulty. But I just wanted to remind you as an encouragement, if your life is full of difficulty, guess what you won't want it to be doing? You won't want to be bringing more or other people's difficulty into it. So I commend you to live a simple, 
well thought through life. I, I just wrote a little list because John said it, didn't he? He said, less of me, I must decrease. He must increase. I just wrote a list. What do you need less of? Less stress? Less argument? Okay, well, go do the work. Sit down, work out what it is that's causing that. Can I just say, I feel like this is a word from God? Less debt. If you've got bills on your visa, Beck and I got rid of our visa four, four, three or four years ago. We were just refinancing and they were like, hey, you know, do you still want your visa? To be honest, we're pretty good with money. But I hate that the money would even budget it. You get the bill at the end of the month, often 20, maybe 20 days later, and you look at it and you're like, what was that for again? And what was it creating? Angst. So we got rid of ours. We just had a debit plus that you can do online stuff with. Oh, one act of simplicity took away monthly moments of what was that again? Just wisdom, isn't it? Less doubt, less pressure. Choose the right kind of pressure. Get rid of the rest. Can I just say this? From the bottom of my heart, less shame. If sin is entangling you, get simple. Let Jesus forgive it. Repent from it and confess it, and then build your life on holiness. It's going to be an awesome foundation. Less anxiety, less fear, less wondering what people think, less of me, more of Him. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. We're going to finish this morning. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch with us. Email us at info at or visit our website, 